Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Theory. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today, I'm talking with Chad Hagelmeyer who has joined us before on this podcast. Yeah. Do you think, Kim, I could get the official title of friend of the pod? Totally. Today I'm speaking with Chad Hagelmeyer, friend of the pod. Yeah. (laughs) Chad, can you introduce yourself for our listeners who do not know of your marvelous (laughs) persona? (laughs) Sure. My name is Chad Hagelmeyer. I'm a postdoc at NYU in the English department, a colleague of Kim's and Sharonik's, and I study fact-checking and literature. So we're here to talk about institutions. Tell us what the heck is an institution? Can I answer a different question? Can I answer the question, what is the institutional turn? Yeah. Because I feel like Describing this disciplinary turn will be a better way of approaching this. And also maybe within that answer, we'll get to what institutions are or what we mean by institutions. Cool. So what the heck is the institutional turn? Yeah. So the institutional turn is just this like critical turn beginning in the mid aughts. Is that what we call it? The mid 2000s. (laughs) The institutional turn is not one of these critical practices that has been like theorized or described all that well. There's just a lot of people doing it. But Jeremy Rosen at the University of Utah wrote a great article about the institutional term. Yeah, it's a body of literary scholarship that focuses on the particular institutions and organizations through which literature is produced, circulated, and read. And also like the institutions through which certain modes of literary production and reading are developed and sustained. It's a way of not just thinking about an author, a reader, and a text, but the institutional contexts in which people author or read literary work. So it's not just me and Sylvia Plath when I'm reading The Bell Jar, but it's me and Sylvia Plath and HarperCollins' Modern Classics and the university course that I was assigned at the book in and all of the structures that have been built up around this text. 
Totally. It could even be things like your family, right? Like families are institutions. So if your mother or father introduced you to the bell jar, we can talk about like a range of institutions in the institutional turn. So how do I use the institutional turn? Yeah. So maybe this is where we start to answer the question of like what an institution is. A lot of 20th century literary theory has read literature itself as a social institution. Okay. What they usually mean by that is the sense of institution that is like a conventional practice or an enduring practice rather than an organization founded for a particular purpose. So you'll also hear people say things like literary genres are institutions. So Franco Moretti says that studying genre means, quote, enclosing literary history and the image of literature itself in the idea of consent, stability, repetition, bad taste even. It means turning the paradise of beauty into a social institution like the others. Frederick Jameson has written, quote, genres are essentially literary institutions or social contracts between a writer and a specific public whose function is to specify the proper use of a particular artifact. So in thinking about literature as an institution, we're kind of thinking of it as a single thing. And we're also thinking of its thingness as a single thing, having the purpose to perpetuate a certain status quo or to sustain a set of practices across time, rather than a dynamic and competing system of organizations that allow for ruptures or changes or evolutions. So is literature as an institution in that sense primarily concerned with its own reproduction? I think so. Yeah. And I think it's also really focused on thinking of language itself as like a set of conventions. Okay. So like the institution of literary language. So I also experienced the bell jar through some idea of high literature. Right. Or even because some people don't like the bell jar. (laughs) Trashy literature, right? <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah, you, you'll find that like when we talk about literature as an institution, we get into arguments about what literature is in like really annoying ways, right? We become like the new critics who define literature in like pretty poetic ways, in ways that are hard to talk about the novel, for instance. Or we cordon off a bunch of like quote unquote genre fiction as not literary because it doesn't fit into the conventions that we deem literature, which more closely align to something like high literature. So to you use the institutional turn might be to turn away from literature itself as an institution and from all these like irritating questions about what literature is to particular organizations and institutions that create or sustain or revolutionize different kinds of literary practices. Another way we can use it is a different way for literary scholars to approach institutions. A lot of 20th century critical theory, especially everything following in the wake of Michel Foucault, has tended to be really critical of institutions. For instance, D.A. Miller's influential book, The Novel and the Police, or Nancy Armstrong's How Novels Think. Those are books that see the novel as an institution that creates this idea of the modern liberal subject. Also, maybe even more of a powerful institution than like the police. By reading novels, you sort of like discipline yourself into carceral modernity in a way that the police never could. But using the institutional turn, we can sort of turn away from these negative connotations of institutions toward fuller, more interesting, and more positive descriptions of what they do and what they mean in the literary world. Can you give us an example or some examples of 
these specific institutions that scholars have turned to? Probably one of the more visible ones so far has been Mark McGurl's book, The Program Era, Post-War Fiction and the Rise of Creative Writing, which is a book about university creative writing programs in the United States and how they have shaped and changed and influenced fiction, uh, American fiction in the 20th century. But also there's work by Janice Radway on romance novel publishing. I love Janice Radway. She's She's great. great. She's like a sociologist by training. Yeah, she has like an ethnology of romance novel readers that's super interesting. She also has an analysis of the Book of the Month Club and the way that it's like shaped middle brow reading practices. It's awesome. So the institutions in those cases would be the Creative Writing Program for Mark McGurl and the Book of the Month Club or the System of Romance Novel Publication. Yeah, she calls it an institutional matrix. (laughs) The institutional matrix of romance novel publication. (laughs) Yeah, because like romance novels also rely on a lot of like ghostwriting, right? Like different authors will write under the name of the same author Mm. and try to sustain that author's style. So it's this whole matrix of institutions that go into preserving this genre of romance novels. How will the institutional turn save the world? I think this is actually a really interesting question for the institutional turn because one of the many institutions that is involved in the production and reception and appreciation of literature is the English department itself, right? The English department and the humanities at large are and have been for a very long time in this moment of quote unquote crisis. There are parts of that crisis that I think we would both agree are very real and parts of it that are not (laughs) and annoying, but there's definitely some kind of crisis, right? There's a dwindling number of people signing up to be English majors every year in most universities, et cetera, et cetera. So Jeremy Rosen thinks that maybe the institutional turn can help us rethink institutions, including our own institution of the English department in ways that give them a future and that put that future in our hands. So we also like live in this neoliberal age that has become a major challenge to institutions of all kinds. It's not just humanities departments or the university. Lots of public institutions are under fire because the way we value things is being narrowed to this kind of instrumental value. Former institutions are being taken apart because there's this idea that the market can just sort of like do what they once did. So the institutional turn can be a way of describing and analyze the power and positive influence of institutions in a time when they're being disintegrated in the acid of neoliberalism. Mark McGurl has said, the critique of institutions that we saw in the 20th century could only have made tactical sense in a period when the ample funding of public institutions went without saying. But now in the 21st century, at a time when the institutions inhabited by literary scholars and their students are under various forms of existential threat and absent the likelihood of an anti-capitalist revolution, this focus on liberation now seems much less urgent than the need to safeguard a stable institutional home. Okay. So that was McGurl. Uh, Rosen answers him sort of and says that maybe by focusing on particular institutions and the agents within them, we as scholars can reveal not only how a given text works to convey its meaning, which is the traditional task of interpretation, but also the mechanisms of the whole literary field, how success and failure are doled out, or what constitutes success and failure in literary production in the first place. So we can think of institutions as instituting something, right, as doing things. We can think about what we as a field or as a whole discipline want to institute next. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for coming and doing this. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. I love listening to High Theory. In fact, I would definitely name it as one of my favorite podcasts, but especially theory podcasts of 2020. <laughs> so everyone should listen to it. For that, you definitely deserve the name Friend of the Pod. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Kim. Thank you, pod friend. <laughs> and thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonic Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonic Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day. <laughs>